Welcome to Between the Shelves, the premier Sable Library podcast. I am your host, Alex, and this episode I am joined by Tim. Hello. And Christina. Hello. Thank you both for being here. Now, September 22nd is International Hobbit Day, so we're going to do an episode on The Hobbit and J.R.R. Tolkien and all of his oeuvre. (laughs) So I need both of you to be my Tolkien experts on this episode. Done. Uh, okay, good. Both of us. <laughs> so, The Hobbit, if you haven't read it, it came out in 1937, so uh, September 21st. So we're actually coming up on the 86th anniversary that's of the book. That's just a random number, isn't it? It's a big, that's a big, a big 8-6. <laughs> <eight six. laughs> I hate when they do that. Sorry. Um, but it is the 50th anniversary of J.R.R. Tolkien's death. Mm. Oh, okay. It's 1973, yeah. September 2nd. So we just, just passed it. Mm. Yeah. So let's. I want to talk about it in this episode a little bit about the, the Hobbit specifically, um, but we can talk about Lord of the Rings too. I mean, they all kind of blend together quite a bit, actually. Um, but I want to talk about the book. We can talk a little bit about the movies, but there's one movie in particular that I want to talk about, which we all saw before recording this episode, right? I'm like trying to get yes. eye contact. Yes. Okay, yes, good. absolutely. Um, it is the 1977 animated edition of The Hobbit, um, which is very interesting. Going back on it now, I, I watched it as a kid many, many times. Hadn't seen it since then, and uh, I think we'll both, well, all three of us have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, so let's just get started. I mean, I'm just going to go into this assuming our listeners are not Tolkien aficionados. I know even here at the staff, on our staff, many people have not read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, um, which I don't know about you, but I consider it essential reading. I think it's for a kid. Yes. Yes. For an adult, that might be a hard, a hard one. I, so I reread it last week. In preparation for this episode, because I am a professional podcaster now. Wow. <laughs> it comes first in my priorities. Gotcha. Um, and I think it still holds up. You can read it as an adult. I think so, too. Um, I think it's, it's you know, about the same reading level as Harry Potter. You know, you can read Harry Potter as an adult and still mm-hmm. not feel like it's talking down to you. Um but I'm just getting, like, I want to get your sense. Like, when did you read The Hobbit for the first time? Were you a child, teen? Like, what, do you remember, like, your experience? I do. I was probably, it was actually right before The Fellowship came out on in the movie theater. I had seen a trailer for it. And I was like, I have to see this movie. And my dad was like, well, before you see this movie, you have to read The <laughs> Hobbit. It's a prequel. And I was like, okay. And I like distinctly remember we went to this bookstore in Rocky Point. I think it was called Oak Tree Books. And like I got this like little tiny paperback of The Hobbit. It was probably, it would, it would have had to have been too early 2000. So I was 11. Mm-hmm. And I devoured it in like a day. Yeah. So, but. Uh, what about you, Tim? I have no memory. No memory whatsoever? Well, so I have clear memories of reading Lord of the Rings, these dusty old Lord of the Rings books that were from an attic that probably belonged to my dad, but who knows. And that was when I was probably 13 or 14. And those books 
I distinctly remember because I have a dust allergy, so I would read them and like just <laughs> cry, like like tears and snot, and it was just terrible. But I love those books, and they were some of my favorite books still to this day. But The Hobbit, I have no clear memory of reading. I know I read it, if I read it before or after, I couldn't say which one. Um, great book that I remember, but just not as fondly as I remember Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings books. Yeah. Um, my story is a little bit similar to Christina's. I, I was reading other fantasy books. I was probably around the same age, maybe 10-ish around there. I don't remember the movies being a thing. So I think it was before like they announced the Lord of the Rings movies. But I was reading like the Dragonlance series, like the fantasy books. And then my dad said, you know, if you like this, you should read The Hobbit. And I'm like, okay, whatever, old man. Like, I like my stories. But then I was thinking about it. And then I don't know why, but I was at my grandmother would watch us when we were young. And I was at her house and she pulled out like a book of my dad's old stuff from like the 70s, I guess, and pulled out his edition, like his copy of The Hobbit that he read when he was a kid, which had like all of his notes in it and everything. So that's the first edition I read. And I still remember it so clearly. It was a mass market paperback and it was like crumbling apart. And the cover was um, a watercolor painting of Bilbo riding the barrels down the river. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was really, really cool. So I read that. Loved it. Same thing. I didn't read it in a day, but I remember I read it briskly. And then I remember I was in Boston not long after, and there was a bookstore that I would always go to at the mall. Like, that was kind of like our... We'd go to Boston, like, once a month. And it was... this. Maybe it was the edition that you read. It was the Lord of the Rings set, and, like, they were all paperbacks, and, like, The Hobbit was black, Fellowship was green, Two Towers was purple, and Return of the King was red. And they all had, like the iconic like oil painting like covers and they were I don't that so I begged my parents to buy that book book set for me and which they did and then that was the edition that I had all the way through high school that I probably read multiple times I do want to recommend cuz I reread it uh, a few years back and there was the illustrated version which was much larger a hardcover illustrated and I think it was, it was illustrated by Alan Alan Lee, who's like one of the quintessential token illustrators, and that version, I, I love that version. Just his drawings, paintings, illustrations are amazing. So yeah. that def- definitely helps if you're, especially if you're a first time reader of it, just getting into the fantasy of it, it, it helps with that. Yeah, Alan Lee, um, his paintings, they based the Lord of the Rings movies, a lot of it off of his painting. Mm-hmm. So his vision of Lord of the Rings is like the definitive yeah, vision of, of Lord of the Rings. Um, but I had a book called Tolkien's World that I got as a Christmas present when I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. It was this beautiful, huge hardcover book of all of his paintings that were from The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, The Silmarian, um, which... We don't really have to get into that. That's that's advanced. Silmarillion or Silmarillion? Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Yeah, I always called it Silmarillion. Right, I, I just wanted do. to make sure, just for clarification. Not that I ever even read it, but okay. Uh, I did read it recently, and it's not a very fun read. I'll, I'll say dense, that. It's very dense. Yeah. I started it once, and that's it. But yeah, that, that Tolkien's World book, if you can find it, um, it's beautiful. It's just giant. They did an exhibit at the Morgan 
maybe like four or five years oh, ago yeah. of all of Tolkien's paintings and stuff on display. Because he did his own illustration paintings. Yeah. And they've, yeah, they've started releasing, I think The Hobbit illustrated by Tolkien is coming out next week, mm-hmm. but they just did Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion with his illustrations in it. Triple threat right there. He did it all. Writer, illustrator, professor. Language yeah. creator. <laughs> yeah. Quadruple threat. So I have a couple of, of facts about, while we're talking facts, uh, about Tolkien. Uh, so you mentioned he was a professor. He taught Anglo-Saxon philology and literature at Oxford mm-hmm. when he wrote The Hobbit. Um, and the um, school library journal has The Hobbit as the 12th best children's book of all time. I can see that. Which I think is kind of low. But What's the first? Um... Charlotte's Web was number uh, one. That's a classic. It's a classic. Yes. <laughs> there was a few questionable ones above The Hobbit. I don't remember exactly what. Well, they I'm were. sure Harry Potter's. Uh, yeah, that was probably, four or five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was Scholastic. Not that they didn't publish Harry Potter. So interesting. Yeah, a little bias right there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what were your, your general? So what age would you say is appropriate? Like 11, 12, right around there. My daughter's eight, so we watched the movie together. Last oh really? Night. Yeah. So and she was into it. We'll get to all the other stuff when we start talking about that. But as far as like reading the book, I could see her. It might be a little advanced for her, but I could see her listening to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And really, because she loves a good audiobook, so I could see her listening to it and yeah. getting a lot out of it. It's a book that's written in a way that can be read aloud and enjoyed that way like almost like a, it's like an oral tradition oral, yeah, sort which of which would make sense for writing Tolkien. style yeah yeah it's episodic because mm-hmm. he told it to his children that way right so oh i didn't know that yeah, yeah. it's like he it was just like a story he was like telling his children interesting i know he was friends with lewis carroll it at oxford so they wrote or he Tolkien wrote the hobbit while lewis carroll i believe was writing the line the witch and the wardrobe c.s lewis c.s lewis i always get them mixed up all right i'll edit that yeah they sound (laughs) they're bffs and treebeard is based on c.s lewis oh that's great (laughs) i'm learning a lot see i knew i brought in the tolkien experts should we describe that christina is wearing her own is it your own handmade no this this was all purchased this is a hobbit outfit that is pretty remarkable yes i mean it is you also have lord of the rings ink on your skin yes so you couldn't have gotten out of this episode if you wanted yeah. to you were the first choice <laughs> do you have a lord of the rings tattoo no as but well? i've always wanted you have one. a fantasy tattoo though i know it's a sword oh i have a i do have the sword yeah on my arm um but i always wanted to when you look up lord of the rings tattoos there's not that many ones that i would find interesting so i am very i love his initials are iconic it's the the r and the j and yeah, the, the jerk the, <laughs> but i i'm very hesitant to get anyone's initials that aren't like blood relatives tattooed on me and even that because you never know you, what i could mean come out it's true <laughs> and there are things coming out about i mean there's just uh, with the lord of the rings specifically of just some of questionable things he's been around long enough for like the majority of his skeletons yes and he's from the you know he grew up in a time when that's and it's pretty easy to get tattoos of literary works that you no longer agree (laughs) with covered up so i've heard from other people so anywho 
So why do you think The Hobbit is so timeless? I mean, why are we reading it 86 years later? What about the book makes it stand the test of time, I guess? I mean, I, my, I'll just start. I think it's like a perfect book for kids around that age because the main character is this like frightened small creature who is experiencing the world for the first time. So you're, you, it's the perfect viewpoint into sure. a fantasy world where That's it's how like I live you're... every day. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a book about being brave too. Yes. Uh, showing courage. And not heroic bravery. It's showing you like what bravery actually is, which is going even you can be afraid. Bravery is being afraid and then going ahead with it anyways. Right. It's not about, you know, what the fantasy books were pre Hobbit where it's just barbarian men rescuing the damsel in distress, whatever from you know what I Which mean? Which were rare too, anyways. They weren't really. I feel like that fantasy genre was really barely a thing before the Hobbit. Before the Hobbit, right? It's hard to come up with like examples that you can just name off the top of your head, like maybe Beowulf, but that's even mm. super old. Right. So I think he I, he is credited for for the high fantasy, really the creation almost of the high fantasy genre, which started with the Hobbit. But did he was I mean Lord of the Rings was kind of being thought up at the same time, right? Uh, expert Christina. Please. I think sort of. I don't think that he just because based on the way that the Hobbit is originally written, um, didn't intend for it to be like a direct sequel to the Hobbit because mm-hmm. the nineteen thirty seven like edition of the Hobbit is different than the ones we read today because he re did them sort of add a lot of things to make the connections to Lord of the Rings stronger. Which is interesting, too, that it's just over... So it's almost 100 years since that original book came out, but it's still... So it is timeless because I feel like he just... uh, It's a a classic tale of adventure. Again, bravery, courage, and... It... uh, Watching the movie last night, I feel like it does kind of get overly complicated towards the end. But that first half is really pretty straightforward. Like yeah. it's very, it's a very basic story of like, here I am, Gandalf. You're coming with me, and here's a bunch of dwarves, and let's go, let's get out of here and go on an adventure. Like it's really straightforward. Yeah, and this is something I was talking about with Christina earlier. The first, I would say, even three quarters of the book even are just that perfect adventure tale where they just keep plodding along to like Mm -hmm. adventure to adventure to adventure. And then the very end gets very convoluted and dense. Yeah. And I didn't remember any of that when I reread it. I completely forgot the ending of the Hobbit. The Battle of the Five Armies part. Right. Which the, the recent Peter Jackson remakes of the Hobbit films, the entire third film is the last two chapters of of the book basically and I didn't remember any of that which I happening I I, am, I like I just absolutely hate those movies but I on on the like the idea of a gigantic battle five this five armies battle yeah something like that could be an entire movie I guess on its own because it's so epic but it is feel it feels like kind of shoehorned into this very basic tale of yeah. like go on an adventure you meet some people you keep moving you go it doesn't seem to fit in the same book almost because the whole book of the hobbit again spoilers it's just these it's this small it's very small story it's a small group of 13 
Travelers, 14 with Gandalf. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's 15 with Gandalf. Oh, 15. Yeah. It's a small party. Bilbo's, of, Bilbo's the lucky 14th. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Who most throughout most of the story, they're not doing anything heroic or even there aren't even very few action scenes in the book. They're mostly hiding or starving or cowering or <laughs> running away or singing or singing mm. or, or doing more hiding, you know, <laughs> or t- telling riddles in the dark. Right. So and then for the book to end with an enormous Tricky. battle yeah. and, and deaths and things. Uh, it's very that part is just very. Not jarring, but yeah, it's just just feels very out of place, which I never thought about until watching the movie last night and being like, and I saw the movies, you know, the Peter Jackson movies, didn't really think of it in that context mm-hmm. at all. But then I think it works better in the book than than the movie a little bit, but it still is kind of out of place yeah. for what is basically a kid's book. Yeah, the the Peter Jackson Hobbit films took a lot of liberties and stretched a lot of things out that were unnecessary um the battle put it mildly yeah (laughs) yeah so this is a completely non sequitur question but i wanted to ask it anyway so when i read the the hobbit as a child i imagined Gollum as a lizard creature and i don't know why because he's never described really that way in the book and i'm just curious what did you imagine do you remember what you thought Gollum was like before you saw the movies? So I don't really imagine things when I read books. So I don't really have an answer. Interesting. I couldn't say because, again, I have very little vague memory of reading yeah. that. Um, but I think it was watching the animated movie, their interpretation of what he looked like was super different than... What I would have thought. He's a little frog guy. He's a frog. Yeah, he's basically a frog. And I think Julia, my daughter, was kind of like very creeped out by how he looked because he looked like a weird lizard. She's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's Gollum. Yeah, she's like, but what is he? I'm like, I don't, I couldn't tell you in this. Or like, you know, trying to explain like, oh, he's a man or a hobbit that just basically over a thousand years got changed into like a a lizard like he looked at, like you're saying like a lizard yeah or a toad and i never pictured it in that way necessarily so yeah there's a weird interpretation there yeah it struck me when i was re when i was watching the film that he looked in the animated film how i imagined him when i was reading the book initially so i'm wondering like was did i read a different edition or something than other people because christina you talked about this already uh tolkien rewrote parts of the hobbit and republished it when the Lord of the Rings were coming out to have it sync up better with that story. And I think one of the things he changed was the Gollum scenes. Yeah, like he did like major reworking of those. I think in the original, he gifts Bilbo the ring. Uh, Just like, of... yeah, instead of Bilbo finding it. and So it keeps, keeps the grudge going yeah. basically into the Lord of the Rings. Makes sense. Okay, so sorry. And thank you for entertaining that <laughs> non sequitur. Uh, I have another non sequitur. The uh, the eagles in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this when I was reading it and then watching the movie again. Are they are the eagles in not only The Hobbit but also Lord of the Rings the greatest example of Deus ex machina in all of literature? So the giant eagles that come out and save the day twice, at least twice in The Hobbit, and just in The Hobbit, probably alone. a dozen times throughout Lord of the Rings. I always. 
uh, as a f- I love fantasy, so I always love that part. Like, but yes, it's it's pretty ridiculous that they just come out of nowhere and show up and save them. It's so funny. It's like a meme. At <laughs> and you know, I it's always epic too. Like they get yeah. it gets me every time. Yeah. I'm like, how are they going to get out of this situation? And it's always Enough the eagles showed up. <laughs> it's like, of course. Thank when God, you're as well connected up. as Gandalf, yeah. you always have a couple of favors up your sleeve. Yeah, really, and that. The whole reason they explain it in The Hobbit is Gandalf saved the king eagle's life. And it's like, okay, you repaid the favor. So why did you keep doing it like 15 more times? I don't know. I just thought that was funny that they're just, it's always the eagles. It's always the eagles. Um, Any other thoughts about uh, the the book, The Hobbit, before we put the book to rest and and go to the magical? I don't think so. I I just, it's a great book. And I think, yeah, I, I do think like every kid should read it because it is, it's, but it also, I don't know the, the, so one of the things in the books is the, as I mentioned before, the songs that just like interrupt everything. Yes. <laughs> I actually never liked the songs um, in the book. I always just skimmed past it because it just felt like it was breaking up any momentum in the story. Yeah. So that's one thing that I feel like I don't know how a kid would interpret it now. So if I do get my oldest daughter to read it, it'd be interesting to it see what she thinks. She, I feel like with the movie, which had their version of the songs, she was she didn't mind it, but it's interesting. Just interesting to have something like that in a book. That's just so it helps great. when the songs rhyme. When they yeah. don't rhyme, it's really jarring. Or when they're like two pages long and then three yeah. pages of continuous. I don't know, Christina, what do you think? Um, I didn't really like them as a child either. And I mean, they're in Lord of the Rings too. Yes. It's just. Not as many though, I yeah. feel like. Something Tolkien likes. He but loves those songs. definitely standouts from the movies, all of them. Definitely. I, and I have a few of the songs. <laughs> that I will play on this episode when we get to the movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, the songs are, are interesting. Um, yeah, they definitely break the momentum a little bit, but they are... I wonder if it's just Tolkien's fascination because he he's a scholar of Beowulf and Anglo-Saxon philology and literature. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like... It's just part of like why these books are so great. It's, they're just so personal to Tolkien. Like, you know he just loves this stuff. So... I don't know. You can kind of tolerate the poems. You can tolerate them. <laughs> <laughs> but they aren't essential to the plot. So you could no, skip them absolutely. and pick up right where you yeah, left off. They're, they're they're, just... That's why it's it's interesting that they're scattered throughout the book. And it, it does it does go into a bit of world building for the books, which I, is, I always love good world. And characterization with Bilbo. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> The, if you are going to read The Hobbit now, the audiobook is great. Mm-hmm. And the song, whoever the audiobook narrator is, sings the songs as well. And he does a fantastic job. It, is it, it actually, not Andy Serkis? It's not. I didn't read that oh, uh, okay. or listen to that one. But I forget who his name is. I'm sorry. I'll put the link in it into our show notes. But uh, he does the songs very, very well. And they don't really break the flow as much mm. when you're... A, listening to it as, as reading to right. me, reading it all right well i think we've covered the classic book the hobbit so let's go to a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about the movie 
And we're back. So I would like to discuss the 1977 Hobbit movie, animated version. Um, so just a little background about this movie. And Christina, feel free to jump in because I know you know as much as I do about this. Um, again, it came out in, in 77. It was directed, it, it was a Rankin and Bass production who did uh, The Last Unicorn. It was another one of their famous films and The Return of the King. The no, I'm sorry. Specials, right? The ho- Star Wars holiday specials? No, just like the general. Like, oh, yes. Like, right. Yeah. Which I just want to. Like interject. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah. I always thought it was one person, Rankin Bass. And then I, the movie came up with the title card, and I'm like, Rankin and Bass? Okay, just. It's like I Rankin didn't know that. Jr. and yeah. Bass. Too. Did not know that. So they're, they're an animation studio. Or, are they a studio? I don't even know. They're, are they the director? I think they're the producers. Yeah, I don't think it's a I don't studio. really understand how movies are made. So. Well, especially those animated movies from the 70s. Yeah. It was just magic that they were they, They're together. not the writers because there's a different guy wrote it because he was nominated for a Hugo for it. I had his name and it's lost in the notes. Yeah, it won. Well, you already mentioned it. It won a Hugo Award for Best Drama. Uh, or hmm. It was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Drama. It lost to Star Wars. Wow. That's fair. That completely forgettable. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, we haven't done multiple episodes on that already. Um, the screenplay for this film won a Peabody Award, which I thought was very interesting. That's a head scratcher for me. I don't know what a Peabody Award is. Writing. Yes. Oh, okay. Writing. Good writing. It good was, writing. This it movie has is good. good. This movie has good writing. This movie is certified good. <laughs> um... One one more note about this, uh, one trivia that I think both of you will appreciate. So the animation studio that made this, they were called Topcraft Animation, and they would later become Studio Ghibli. No way. Mm-hmm. I think kind of in the designs of the characters. In the characters, for sure. The, uh, like so the goblins and stuff. What I would like to know is, is it the same studio that did Lord of the Rings? The... Um, Fellowship of the Ring animated. So that's a good point. Let's get into that. So there were animated films for The Lord of the Rings as well. Now, the company that did this, The Hobbit, originally had plans to do a two-part film to do the entire Lord of the Rings series. So part one, called The Lord of the Rings, came out by the same company, which was made by, uh, which only covered The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers. And uh, I believe it was released on NBC. It aired on NBC. No, I'm sorry. The Hobbit aired on NBC. This was a movie that went that came out. It was not successful, so they canceled making a part two. But Ralph Bash Baxi, the famous animator. Yes, that's who I'm thinking. Baxi. Is it Baxi? Something close to that. Um, he did Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic, and Wizards. Those were his big films. Heavy he- Traffic. Heavy Metal. No, Heavy Traffic. It's a different... Oh, okay. Uh, very adult film. Not not for kids. Um, anyways, so he was, was tapped to do The Return of the King, which is going to be the last part. Then that kind of fell through. Um, and yeah, it was just a big debacle, really. And But they finally did produce The Return of the King, the, the final film, which aired on ABC. So the, the fact that The Hobbit was on... I knew it... I, you could tell that it was 
originally on broadcast TV because yeah. of the commercial breaks. clear commercial breaks of fade to black yes. and then fade back in. And it was just like, oh, this is not a theatrical release. No, and I completely didn't realize that when I watched it as a kid on on VHS that it was originally aired on, on NBC. I feel like we were probably immune to commercial breaks like that. Oh, like yeah, it was sure. just something we saw yeah. all the time, so it, it wasn't even as registered. disturbing. Yeah. But it's very noticeable very. watching it now where <laughs> the music just goes da 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 and then it fades to black and you're like, What is this a Scooby Doo cartoon? Like Uh but yeah, so it was it was it did air on NBC. So, yeah, what did you think about the movie? What are your general thoughts? I realized watching it last night that I never saw it before. Wow. Yeah, I because I would have remembered. I remember I got it mixed up with the Lord of the Rings movie, which right. I really like. I haven't seen that in probably 10 plus years though. And watching this, I really did not like it. I was just I they were on the animation was, I love animation, especially actual 2D hand animation. Um, but there was a lot that I didn't like about it, quite a lot. And I think it's pretty different. Uh, there's, it's not, the plot is the same as the books, but there's, it feels like it's edited very differently from how the books flow. Yeah. Um, for just like, and again, it makes sense though, because it's, it was on broadcast TV and it's very much a product of the 70s, extremely. Like, if it came out in 77, that means they started working on it probably in, like, 74 or 75. And, oh, yeah, you could feel that. <laughs> uh, Christina, what are, your, what are your thoughts? Just your broad thoughts. Just my broad thoughts? Um, I remember not liking it as a child. Um, I remember being afraid of the goblin scene. Um but this time around, it was fine. I uh, it was pretty faithful to the books, which to the book, which was good. But um, the characterization—I don't know if this is just because I love Bilbo. He seems so annoying in the cartoon, <laughs> and I never felt that way about him before. So I don't know. That was, uh, I had the same note. I'm looking for it now. Oh, yeah. I could really do without Bilbo's cheeky fourth wall breaking commentary. That was one of my notes I have here. He breaks the fourth wall so many times. He just looks at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, other than that, I, I, I agree. I didn't hate this movie. It was fine. It was fun. It's certainly no replacement for reading the book. Mm. Um, yeah. Even though it does hit all the major plot points, it doesn't. It's no replacement for reading the book. I think if you read the book and you like the book, this is definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, I'm not. You know, I, I'm glad I watched it just to be like, okay, I I definitely didn't see this when I was a kid because I would have remembered it. But overall, I don't know. It's just uh, the the music, Lord, the music, the the songs. Some of the songs please. are incredibly good. I just. <laughs> I wanted to say something, but I forgot what it was. Would you like to listen to a track while you think about it? <laughs> yes. So I have uh, two tracks from the film here. Um, one of them is, we've talked about the, the, the poems mm-hmm. the, that earlier. So the dwarves break out into song many times throughout the book. Um, and I think they did a pretty good job of capturing that in this movie. Here's one of the tracks now. I, I think it's called Cold Mountain. Um, but it's the dwarves. Oh, it's called Misty Mountain Cold. 
is when they're going through the misty mountains i think right before the goblins i will these this and the first song when they first show up that's what bilbo baggins hates i i do love those two songs the, the those are both great songs the, in the peter jackson hobbits i think that they did the misty mountain song much better yeah great and i love that version too of that the, those that movie did those two songs pretty pretty well um, but I think this captures the feel of of the dwarven songs. Like they're very slow paced, sure. and yeah, that that was just a little taste of that. It's not my favorite song from the soundtrack, okay. but I think it, they did a good job of at least capturing the poetry. Christina, did you think of? No, I don't even know if it was like a real thought or like a quip or what. <laughs> it's gone. I'll think of it later. I'm sure. Well, I have another track here that I think we like a little bit more. What in the uh, the action picks up a little bit. So this track is called uh, Down Down to Goblin Town, which is just a certified classic. It's (laughs) what the kids would call a banger. I think, again, this is another song that's passable, but then there's other songs that are really 70s yes. of just describing, I think, what's going on yeah. in the movie while you're watching yeah. it. Yeah, in the notes that I made while watching it, I was like, yeah, what? why is all the music so 70s specific? Like, yeah. why didn't they even try to make it, like, timeless? Yeah. The song that I think you're, you're referencing to is called The Great Adventure. Yeah. And... Have you ever seen the movie A Mighty Wind? Yeah, it's been a while. But you know the Christopher Guest movie where it's yep, like the yep. folk convent, folk music yes. convention. That song reminds me. It's... It could be dropped into that movie. Absolutely, perfectly. It's just like, just the cringiest seventies folk. Seven, I guess seventies, yeah. like late sixties folk music. It's and it's just so bad. It's bad. So yeah, there's a lot of that scattered throughout the movie. That is crazy <laughs> yeah it's crazy which i think adds to the aesthetic like it, this movie is just a trip yeah. i remember what i wanted to oh, say i was gonna say i think that the problem is that it's not a book that should be adapted necessarily it's not it's not like good for the visual medium like that's not yeah it's it's weird it's told in like little episodes kind of it's a very evocative book to read, at least for me, but you're right. Like most of the book is so, it's just them trudging and struggling on their journey. And it's, you know, it's dotted with moments of them cowering from monsters, which. Or being captured. Or being captured by several monsters. times over. Yeah. yeah. I think um, animated is definitely the way to go after seeing 
the Peter Jackson debacle of his interpretation of The Hobbit, um, which originally would have been Guillermo del Toro, and I think that could have been a really great version, but I think there was something going on with the studio at the time, and he had to back out. But I do think if they ever did make another version of this, which they will, someone will at some point, just because there's money to be made and they don't, you know, if it's Warner Brothers, they they will never lose that license. What it would be great is seeing a new animated version maybe serialized. So like if it was several episodes of a TV show, yeah. I think that could work. And Bilbo can still be voiced by Martin Freeman because he's sure, the best not? Bilbo. Yeah. But I, I do think, like, we will see another interpretation of this at some point. I hope that it would be animated and not a movie. Like, just spread out a little bit, you know, a miniseries. Yeah, I, I agree. I think animation works well for this these books. Um, that said, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies are fantastic. Um, and I think partly because they relied slightly less on CGI than The Hobbit movies it seemed like the hobbit movies that kind of churned out faster i don't know that just got i haven't seen them in in years but i just remember them being so cgi heavy that it kind of lost the magic a little bit i think they were in like that part of in that time frame where we decided that cgi was always the way to go over practical effects and then everybody was complaining about how awful the cgi looked and then kind of just doubled down on it so it got even worse somehow and now we've circled back around to practical effects yeah. so it would have been in an alternate universe it would have been interesting to see the guillermo del toro version yeah. of the hobbit because he relies so much on practical effects exactly and i think to that point i feel like that's like the straw that broke the camel's back in the movie industry where it was like after that and some of the star wars movies it's like, okay, we're going to swing back to more practical effects for the better because well, it's that, like that such un- a muddied mess. Yeah, that we, Uncanny the Valley thing. Mm-hmm. And done, I think they rushed those movies and they were just... They were I don't horrible. know if they were rushed. I think they were worked on for a really long time. The actual filmmaking part, though. Did you ever see the Lindsay Ellis YouTube yes, series? Because she did Alex talk about it. Watch. It's a pretty amazing... Lindsay Ellis does a YouTube deep dive into, I think, all three of them. Yeah. Video essays. There are, are three video essays. Plus interviews with some of the people that worked in the movies. And it's just incredible. And highly recommend watching those if you're interested in like how big of a mess those movies were when they were being made. I'll put a link to those videos in the show notes yeah. as well. Um, but I think one thing we haven't talked about in regards to the movies are the length of time, like the the length of the movies. So this animated film is, what, 80 minutes, 90 minutes at the I, most? Pretty quick. Yeah. Not, pretty short. Yeah. But the, the live action remakes, there's three movies that are all longer than, over two hours long. So there's, I think there's a happy balance in between. I mean, the animated films move along very briskly it's almost like a montage of the hobbit Mm -hmm. like it's just it's not showing any of the journey in between places it's just showing the highlights which is fine for a kid's movie but if you want to do like a a real a tribute to the book you want to include some of that journey part of it too which is such a good part right the pacing the pacing is a little weird though in this movie of once you get to the kind of the pivotal part of the entire book of the Gollum scene after being having these other scenes 
go come and go in like a clip and then spending like all of the time like yeah. on that one scene which is probably the time it deserves it is like a little weird of having all these other things just bing bang boom and then you're like five six seven minutes in this one scene it's funny how that they edited it that way but it is important to the story yeah um but then to finish my thought the hobbit remake the peter jackson hobbit films they we already talked about this a little bit, but they pad out so much of the story yes. and add so much filler that it loses its momentum and they add so many goofy decisions just to fill up the... to make it seem like it warrants a trilogy, when it really doesn't. Yeah. I think the, the Hobbit story could be told in a single movie, which sure. I think this animated movie showed, you know, if it had maybe a bigger budget and was allowed to stretch two it. Two hours. Kids can sit through two hours uh, if it's good. If it's good. If it's not, then... I think we can blame Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows for... One and two? Yeah, the decision to split these. And also how I think successful the changes they made in Lord of the Rings films made them kind of like... Confident? Yeah, that they could do it. But like, yeah, the changes that they made were like based on the book or just introducing another character earlier because the character that does the thing doesn't really come up ever again so it's not important instead of just introducing random characters creating new characters creating yeah. entirely new characters that sort of muddy up yeah the intentions of other characters later down the line so many bad decisions All right, so any closing thoughts we have about The Hobbit? I think, I still believe it's it's a must-read yes. for, for children, uh, or even adults, if you like fantasy at all. If you all. like fantasy, you should definitely read it. It's a pretty quick read, too. I mean, it's not, you can't finish it in a day unless you have... As a child, I was known for finishing books in a day. I didn't yeah. really have much else to do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. If you're an adult and you have adult responsibilities, yeah. you probably can't finish it in a day. But <laughs> it's a nice read, and it's the chapters aren't too long, and it is episodic, so it's very easy to pick up and put down. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it. Ha I think it still offers something for adults, too. Absolutely. And I think we settled on the ideal age if you are a kid, if you want to recommend it for your kids, probably like... Probably 10-ish, right? Probably about the yeah, right Yeah, I age. think so. Now, the movie. Who do we recommend the movie for? The 1977 version? Like, I don't recommend... I kind of recommend the new... The first movie. The, the, what, what, do we have a name for the first one? Of oh, the Peter Jackson. No, oh. sorry. The Peter Jackson. An Unexpected Journey, I think. Is yes. That, okay. That's not... Like, the first half of that's pretty decent. So I would kind of recommend that, but that's a hard. It's hard to recommend that. Definitely don't recommend any of the the other two movies at all. But the '77 one, that's a hard recommendation too. I think for, I will say, my daughter did like it. So she wasn't in love with it, but it kept her attention, and she was interested in seeing how it ended. So I could see kids kind of liking it too for what if the weirdness of it. Yeah, kids definitely like weird things yeah and it's so of its time like they there's nothing that looks like that nowadays no. with watercolor backgrounds well, that's not, yeah I, I i was very much just like oh the, the the backgrounds for this are definitely watercolor with ink and very unique 
Yes, and if you're a fan of Studio Ghibli films, the character design, at least the monsters, are very Studio yes, Ghibli. Yes, for sure. The cat Smaug. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, we didn't even talk about Smaug. that. I, I really love that interpretation of that scene, of the whole of Frodo, oh, sorry, Bilbo being in, <laughs> in his lair, the dragon's lair. I thought that was fantastic and very... Spotlight his, eyes. Spotlight eyes, and it was just, it was actually pretty tense and... I think they did a great job of making it like kind of scary, but then Bilbo just is not, he's not scared at all, which is pretty, maybe that's the bad interpretation part, but like. Honestly, re- having reread the, the books very recently, it, it was very true to the book. Like Bilbo by the end is not afraid of anything. Yeah. He got that ring. He can be invisible. Yeah. He's oh, already being corrupted. I think one of the things that I, I absolutely love. So this is as um, someone that loves fantasy, loves Dungeons and Dragons. Before I even knew what Dungeons and Dragons were, the burglar dwarf. Like it's re- it's a really good introduction to like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, kind of formed from a lot of Tolkien's writings, and for that kind of very basic rudimentary idea of like dwarves elves hobbits like it's it's fantastic and that's one of the things i think stuck in my mind as a kid reading it of just like he's a thief and and there's a map with like weird secret instructions on it all that stuff is great so i think if if anyone likes any type of fantasy watch the movie and definitely read the book because it's great for that this is the origin source of everything dungeons and dragons yep it's yeah. all there. A lot of high fantasy also. Yeah. A lot of Tolkien clones. Yes. So I guess the animated film, if you're a diehard fan or a diehard fan of any fantasy, not just Tolkien, right. uh, I think it's a it's a good watch. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get, if you're a D&D player, you'll get some inspiration from it. Absolutely. Because there are many interesting ideas yeah. in this 86-year-old book. Oh, wait, just real quick. So whenever someone gets killed, the camera spins wildly or has some weird dissolve because it's for broadcast TV. I just thought that was really funny. And um, that's just like a quick aside of just Julia was like, what did what just happened? I'm like, they're just like, are they dead? And like, yeah, but they died. (laughs) This is just so weirdly random of just like sword strike, spin camera, weird dissolve. It's just so it's so fun for that reason. It's it, like, it is. It's, it's a, fun, silly, weird. It's a lot of it's things. a peek into the past. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's our glowing recommendation for the <laughs> 1977 Hobbit film. Um, I hope Tolkien fans weren't too offended by <laughs> this episode. Um, but thank you both for joining me. This was fun. Yeah, definitely. Sure. And I think Lord of the Rings was released in July. So maybe come July we'll have a Lord of the Rings episode. Oh, yeah. We'll see. Okay. Stay tuned, <laughs> listeners. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Bye.